As I open up the word in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you have a Bible, I want you to look at something real quick with me. Um, I know Jason is asking for a title, so I, he doesn't have to text me later, because if you all know me, I never get up here and say, if I was to title this message, I just don't title him. I just write down what he, what I learned, you know what I mean, Terry? So um, now uh, he's got me thinking, yeah, I need a title. I need a title. Well, how about this title? Why aren't Christians known for love? Man, why are not Christians known for their love or love? And 1 Corinthians 13, I'm not going to do much Bible reading. And, and most of my references come out of 1 John uh, chapter 4, verses 4 through 12. If you're men in here, when we met Monday night, God has had me on this love thing here for a few weeks. And a little different spin. So if you're here and you got that Monday night, it's not a repeat, so stay tuned. Don't tune out. Um, the Lord had, boy, we had a good discussion. Amen. Men that were here, man, that was good. Uh, how, how uh, I, I think it was more where we focused on the, the biblical definition of love, first of all. Love is not boastful. Love is kind, right? Uh, love is patient. Love keeps no records of wrongs. Love always protects right? Roger was some good stuff. That's not where I'm at today. But God has still left me in that, that place. Um, those kind of loves, um, I, am, I love my wife. So I'm saying to her, I'm patient with her. I'm long-suffering. I'm not boastful. I'm not prideful. I always protect her. So I wanted to go down uh, today a little bit and just challenge us as I was as we look at honestly a real reflection in the mirror it's a true legitimate question why aren't Christians known for love worldwide United States wide it seems like the biggest battles and the biggest bickering in this world today is who loves the right way, the world or us? Because the way the world loves, and like Jesus said, the world loves its own, but the primary distinguishing feature of a Christian should be how they love those who agree with them and who don't agree with them. Christians should easily be recognized by their mind-boggling love for those who despise them. It shouldn't be difficult to tell who the Christians are in your neighborhood or at work. But it is. But the word says it should be mind-boggling. So why are Christians in America... 
not known for their love. Studies consistently show that Christians are seen by most as judgmental, by many as hateful, and by only a few readily identifiable in a crowd. We've all heard it. Oh, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Why aren't we, why are we known, why, you know, why does that reputation precede the church? What, what are we missing that we're not known for love? What should love look like? You know, Scripture characterizes love as a verb. We all know what a verb is. Love is something we do, not just something we feel. Biblical love is hard. It really is. It is not passive or lazy. 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 John 4 describes a love that is quite opposite of our natural human inclinations. Our love is towards self-preservation. Jesus modeled a love that defies explanation. A script written from the beginning of time where the author dies an excruciating death to save everyone from intimate peril. The Lord should have chosen, he could have chosen a thousand other ways. He could have chosen a thousand other ways to atone for our sin. But instead, his overwhelming love for us, Christ's love, which the great commandment calls us to emulate. But instead of picking a thousand other ways, the last time I spoke to you, we described how he was pierced and bruised and beaten and hung on a cross for our iniquities and demonstrated that in love. So, is what I'm saying is Christ's love of what the love should look like are these seven things. Number one, sacrifice. What if a friend died to save you? How would you live differently from that point on? I want you to think about this. How would you act towards your deceased friend's family to show your appreciation. In that light, the fact that Christ died for us should spur Christians to a life of radical generosity, showing our love for him and his children. It should absolutely be a chain reaction. Terry, if you laid your life down for my family, I would be so grateful to your family and your children would never want for anything. Mercy, number two, is what love should look like. Jesus healed, fed, and forgave at every opportunity. He still does it today, as we've seen this morning. Jesus continually emphasized the importance of compassion toward the poor, sick, and lost. Not just in words, but in actions. Well, I'll pray for you, brother. 
obedience. Jesus states plainly in John 14 that anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Obedience and love are joined at the hip. They obey out of the love of Christ and never in futile, conditional attempt to earn or deserve salvation. We talked about that earlier. You don't have to earn your salvation. What love should look like? Number four, selflessness. Philippians 2 associates love with putting the interest of others above our own and a concept so counter to our nature that it may require a lifetime of sanctification to learn to love our neighbors as ourselves. Five, what love should look like is unity. And these are all according to Scripture. Unity is lost in the body of Christ in some places. Philippians 2 also joins the call of John 17 for absolute, complete unity of all believers in mind and in spirit. Then the world would know, you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me, was Jesus' prayer in John 17. Forgiveness. Jesus linked love and forgiveness in his encounter with the woman who washed his feet with perfume at the dinner. Whoever is forgiven little loves little. Luke 7, 47, 7, verse 47. If we realize just how many sins Jesus has forgiven us, we would not be so quick to judge others. I pray, God, I don't want to ever forget what you've done for me. How could I ever judge a brother or judge anyone else? In this scripture, he challenges, now which of them would love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one that had a bigger debt forgiven. Seven on my list is unconditional, which as we know is agape. Agape love is the love of God and others with no expectations or strings attached. And given our sinful natures, the purity of agapity love isn't possible at all apart from Christ. We can't do it. We're too selfish. We're too worried about me and my house. And the Bible says that if we'll forget me and my house and focus on my neighbor, that's love. We must have the Holy Spirit to obtain that agape love. And if we don't understand, okay, going back to what I was saying, the point I'm trying to make here, church, is that love is a verb. You have to consciously decide what love is and how you're going to love that's not words only. And I'm not going to leave you uh, empty-handed here. And uh, is what I want to give you, too, is seven ways 
or what, uh, however you want to say it, that culture would define love today. So we just went through what the Bible defines as love. Let's hear what culture today says love is. In American culture today, love is viewed less as a verb and more as a noun. <laughs> Rather than something we do, it's something we feel. I was one of those. I never understood it when somebody would tell me, you need to know what love is. You say this, and, and you know, we, we rely on the feeling. Because agape is unattainable, uh, uh, for agape is unattainable for non-believers, they settle for love in lesser forms. So, if understand clearly, to love this way absolutely takes the Holy Spirit of God in every human being to have the agape love. And that's what we're headed for. We want to head to change the image of, of Christ's church. That we are undeniably, when people see us and know us and interact with us, whether we're in unity together as a body or I'm singled out alone in a workplace, am I that peculiar that it is, is just undeniable, unconceivable when they witness my actions of love. So number one, according to culture, is filio. I had to look that one up. This brotherly love is found in the warmth and affection between friends. Companionship provides the sense of community that so many desire, but filio can be conditional and never extends uh, to those we don't like. Mark Zuckerberg thinks Facebook can replace churches. He sees the church role reducing to provide community. Storage, suburbia, values providing for our families at the expense of all others. Me and my house. Parents have no time to care for the poor because they're working late nights all week to finance a desired quality of life for their families. And then they run from soccer games to cheerleading practice all weekend long. It's hard to argue with this family-oriented form of love but it leaves little room for agape. Euros. Our TV, our radio, and our internet airwaves are filled with references to the sexuality charge form of love, which is better coined infatuation. In a society that endorses and encourages premarital sex, Tolerance, under the guise of love, compassion, and justice, society defends the right of each and every individual to determine his or her own moral compass and rejects anyone who defers to a higher moral authority than themselves. Defying each other's false god or self is not love. It's idol worship. Worship of the creation, not the creator. 
freedom. In America today, any attempts by Christians to point out sin is seen as judgmental and fear-mongering, a form of hate, not love. Although enslaved to sin, non-believers demand to remain free from the imposition of Christian values, truth, or morality in the name of love by their definition. They love and defend self at all costs. Emotions, number six, ask most non-Christians in the U.S. to define love, and you are likely to hear descriptions of feelings and human emotions, not the action-oriented verse of 1 Corinthians. That's what you're going to hear. Seven, social justice. One area where millennials view love as a verb is in fighting for human rights which they believe Christians frequently violate by advocating biblical standards or behavior. So we have two completely different definitions of love on what culture says and what the Bible says. Love comes, first of all, from the one true God, not from the world. We love because why? He first loved us. Apart from Christ, society can only conjure up a counterfeit love, convinced of it. Mine was counterfeit. I thought I loved as long as I was happy, as long as everything's okay with me. How many marriages are lined up more with the cultural definition of love versus what biblical love is well he's just not doing it for me now so and because myself I'm not you know I'm going to make a statement that's I want everyone to understand very clear when it comes to that if you are a Christian household and you proclaim yourself to be Christ like that's what you say when you're a Christian. And you call yourself a Christian. I am so tired of us throwing around the word Christian. Christian is an honor. And when you tell me you're a Christian, I'm looking at you in a different way. And if you call me yourself a Christian, but then you tell me you're going to divorce your spouse then you just mock God. Well, he just, you know, I don't like his attitude and I've put up with it long enough. Serving self, that's, 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 that's why we don't look different to the world than to culture. We're the same. Well, you, yeah, you know, take care of self. Do what makes you happy. That is the absolute lie from the pit of hell. Do what makes you happy. As long as you're happy, that is idolatry. It's not about you. It's about him. He showed us love first, right? If you died, like I said, I want you to hold on to what I'm saying. If, 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 if Terry died for my entire family, I'm going to spend a lifetime of gratitude 
and making sure that his family is supported and his family is taken care of and I will spend a lifetime. Why don't, why doesn't society see Christians as loving? Yes, the world has a distorted view of love. Christians do not live according to the secular uh, definition of love. So we don't appear loving when looked through their filter. So listen, out of the seven that I just showed you, because we don't live like that and we know that's not love, we're unloving. So it's not always shame, shame on you. It's right. I'm not here to... Uh, this, this was uh, freedom to me, not condemnation. Wait a minute. If they say we're unloving, it's because they don't know the definition of love. Ha, <laughs> I'm not so bad. Now, you see? I'm not so bad. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, I feel better. <laughs> I thought pastor was going to just drive it on, you know? But there is some of that. Because we're guilty of, of not, is where my conviction comes, is am I, it, do I always represent the definition of love according to my Bible? And that's where we fail. Is where we fail in this is when we start letting cultural and forget or don't ever know or learn what the Bible says love is. Number one, to our spouse, or number two, to our, uh, to our neighbor. So there's, there's, there's different ones. So, however, there's merit to certain aspects of society's perception of love, like filio, tolerance, and social justice. Those correspond loosely with the Bible, uh, correspond loosely with biblical principles of unity, Forgiveness and mercy. Are Christians doing those components of love well? Is the question. If not, we're not living out society's definition of love or ours. <laughs> now they're confused. I don't want to get confusing here, but think about it. If you're not doing either one, they don't know what is love, what is unity. You're not either one. You don't even love the way we say love, and you definitely don't love the way the Bible says love. You're just caught up somewhere in the middle there. I want love. I want to get this down. The Bible mentions love over 712 times. If you listen to the words of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus... He puts so much emphasis on loving one another and that people will know us. They will know you and me, Tracy, by our love one to another. Not by how much you love that guy. It's how much you love me one to another, how we are. I, I, that, then Jesus said, then the world will know you. This should challenge every one of us to look at and make sure that we are 
consciously because here's the thing it takes the holy spirit to do these things don't hear me these things don't come natural it's natural normal for me to just yeah yeah just leave me in my own world and i'll take care of what i got to take care of and as long as my family's doing okay and be blessed and take care and sorry about your bad luck you know it's natural, so it takes the conviction. It takes the working of the Holy Ghost. It takes you understanding that we have a, uh, that this is a verb. This is an action. No, and you talk to yourself. That's, that's not the way. You listen, like I said before, to obey. We listen to the Lord. No, that's not the way to be neighborly. That's not loving your neighbor. You know, you got to preach to yourself, right? In other words, society expects Christians to love like them, or to show them what true love looks like. But if believers don't exhibit either version of love, the society uh, that, that uh, if we don't do either version that Christ modeled, then they will be loving in a way that others do not understand or appreciate. In that event, we can expect a continued decline in church growth, influence, impact, and perception in our nation. The segue away from a biblical definition of love began as institution building. I remember it. And replaced disciple building in recent decades. So listen to me what happened to the church. The segue away from biblical definition of love began as institution building replaced disciple building. Church came to be known as a place with evangelism entrusted primarily to professionals and members asked only with inviting people to come to an event. I even seen some churches call their worship services the experience. They started naming them. You know, some of us have been around long enough to see this, that the church changed and it started to become this big super uh, uh, event. I'm going to tell you something. If you want to be a disciple of Christ, you stay right here. You will be a disciple. We will say the hard things. Our pastors will say the hard things. They'll stick with you. We'll pray with you. We'll study with you. We'll love you. And church, we in this body, we have to get this unity down. We are representing Christ in a small community. And we want to make sure that they truly see Christ. Not this mixed view. If we are not unified and we don't have unity one to another and we have all these little things in the background like uh, uh, what seem, that, that tell people, well, they're clicky or they're this or this, there's, there's reason. We've got to figure this out. It's an action. We have got to show love, agape love. Agape love is an action. If you leave today with anything, love is an action. Not a, you know, it's not something we say. 
as I close this up. According to society, uh, accordingly, society observes the, the, allegiance, the allegiance Christians have to their particular church, pastor, or fellow member, but not their unity as one universal body. Forgiveness of those who think differently or mercy for those who need, that, that need or are oppressed That's, I guess, is what I was trying to say here is um, they see us as, you know, our, our, our allegiance more or, or a following more of a, uh, not a group of, of, of unified, agape loving people is what I'm trying to point out there. According, um, one, uh, are we united? was another one. The world sees our splits, factions, and denominations. I believe with all my heart the last day church will be truly unified. See, what if the return of Jesus Christ for a perfected bride is all in our control and not his? And as long as we're Splitting and denominating and talking about that church across town. Come on, man. We're in a town of 8,800 people. And we got seven different churches. And not one of them are unified. And they all probably preach a different message or maybe the same message. Now, I'm not saying that one church can take care of the whole town. But seven churches unified under one, one Lord? I think that's going to be a, a last day church. We're going to see more of that. We're going to see some of these uh, spinoffs. Most denominational uh, foundings or church splits are because, number one, they didn't understand spiritual authority. So I offend you, I'll go start my own church. Hey, you want to come with me? I'm going to start a church. I'm going to start a church. Hey, if I start a church, will you come with me? We'll just open up one down. You know what I mean? And you start mingling through the body going, you know, you, what do you think about that sermon last week? You know, I was, I was thinking about starting our own, you know, and then maybe, or through offense, they come and it's, you think of it and the devil comes to you and think it's promotion. Hey, uh, Lord laid you on my heart, Austin, that uh, he laid on my heart. We're playing church in Kansas City and man, he really laid it on my heart that, uh, you're already a worship leader, but I'm just, you know, role playing here that uh, you could lead worship and he told me to come to you and you know, start, or, hey, uh, I need an associate pastor, and, and I'm going to plant this church, and we need an associate pastor, and the Lord laid you guys on my heart, think you'd be great associate pastor, see? See how the enemy comes and thinks that's promotion. Instead of having the shepherd of the house promote and, and send out and make disciples, and that's how church splits happen and church division. It all comes from offense, and it all comes from being ununified and not displaying love one to another. Um, I know it's deep. I told you I needed an hour. and I, I, I'm doing this in 45. I'm probably going to get an hour, but uh, we're done. I'm going to close you up. It's 1230. I can hear the stomachs from here. Uh, Jesus has been good.
And uh, I'm just going to release you with this. Last two statements. Are we forgiving? Our lack of unity spills over into a, a perceived self-righteousness and judgmentalism toward those outside our immediate congregation. Advertently redefining neighbor by confining love to a narrow audience narrower than Jesus actually attended. And we are, are we merciful? Even within our church families, we aren't modeling the love and sacrifice that led the church in Acts to sell their possessions to ensure one that suffered or lacked for food or clothes. Church in America no longer led the way in caring for the poor outside of their four walls as they did for 1,900 years when churches were the food bank and the homeless shelter. We, have, we are losing and we have got to take action, church, that we are going to describe and we are going to walk out love according to 1 Corinthians 13. It's all in black and white. And I'm going to make a decision that I'm going to live this kind of love. And I'm going to walk this kind of love and I'm going to teach my sons this kind of love. If you're hurting and if you're in need and you're a brother or sister and I'm presented with that need and I can meet that need and I walk by and say, be blessed and mind my own business, I'm loving like the world. And it's not just monetarily that way. Any, what, what is that sacrificial agape love look like that I will lay down my life. Jesus said it, no greater is there love than a brother lay down his life for another brother. What does that laying down of a life look like? We always think death. No. It's putting your own wants, desires, and needs and putting my neighbors before, or putting my brothers before mine even. With all understanding that God's gonna take care of me <laughs> Do you think if I uh, sacrificially loved you so much that I forsake my own well-being or my own comfortability lifestyle or my own, and I gave to someone, do you think God's going to say, uh, well, look at you, now you're suffering? <laughs> oh, God's going to bless me. But see, you don't, we don't do that out of fear, and that's why Jesus was saying that love casts out all fear. Don't worry about it. Don't think of yourself. And I want to encourage a church, and I know our pastors do too, we want the Passion Church to be known for the unity and the love. We're not, we're not people easily rattled. We're not people easily offended. We love with no judgment. Maybe something's going on that you don't know about in your neighbor's life. And when I say neighbor, I mean your brother, not the unbeliever. Be merciful. Love is an action, not just words. Love is essential to our faith. The perception that, uh, of Christians will change 
when our love of God extends and overflows naturally and unconditionally beyond our fellow believers to all mankind. The culture war raging in America today can only be won when churches stop building institutions and tend to fight, uh, uh, and, and tend to fight an air war, dropping verbal bombs, and start building disciples who engage in a ground war using love and compassion as their weapons. The culture war raging in America can only be won when churches stop building institutions that tend to fight a Facebook war, dropping verbal bombs. How dare you? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. And you call yourself a Christian. And you start a little bit. And dropping verbal bombs, this is when it changes. We start building disciples who engage and understand that they're in a ground war and the only weapons we need, Sam, is love and compassion. Love and compassion. So now, it's your turn. Are there any other reasons why you believe society does not associate church or Christians with the word love? So what can you do about it to restore the reputation and lead more people back toward ultimately Jesus? That's what we have to do. Robin and I have been thinking about this and talking about this and praying about this. And every time we open our Bible, it's unity and love and unity and love. And I really didn't know what the Lord would have me to say to you today. And, and Robin, earlier in the week, uh, maybe even a week ago, you said, well, God's, you know, I, I'm just on this, you know, where's our unity and all this? And I'm like, oh, man, I'm so far from that. No, God's not. You know? And then we come back around. It's amazing how we're one flesh. And I hope a lot of what I said today brings confirmation to what you're doing. And I'm telling you, women, if you're going to be here Tuesday night, man, God's given this woman a word. Or a Monday night. Man, I'm still, you know, old, old hasn't always passed away yet. I'm still thinking Monday, Tuesday. Lift you up, Jesus, as she decreases. So take action is what I'm saying. If you're going to be a Christian, then you love. And you love how the Bible says, read the book of Corinthians, both letters to 1st and 2nd Corinthians. 1st John. And ask yourself, am I displaying? Some of you got it down. Some got it down really good. So I love you guys. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a great commission. We have to make disciples. And we're not going to make effective disciples if we're bickering and mongering and, and jealous and envious and prideful and, and slanderous and all the things that go on in the body of Christ, but yet call ourselves Christ-like. 
it's, we've got to get, grow up and get rid of it and understand that it's not miraculously going to happen. Well, God, I can forgive them, but I don't have to love them. I didn't read that. The only time I read that we are to separate from somebody is when they're preaching a gospel that is not what we've heard. Or they're completely a Jezebel or under complete enemy or, or spiritual control that is opposite, that is an absolute antichrist. Then Paul instructed us, don't sit with such a person. But he didn't say that about your brothers and sisters. Neither did Jesus. Amen? So you're commissioned. Agape love is an action. Thank you, Father, for your word. Lord, I praise you for today. Lord, I am still Lord Jesus in awe and thankful for the ones that you touched. Thank you for this word. Sorry, Lord, I had to hurry it. God, let it plant uh, and take root into every heart that it was designed for. Lord, I know sometimes the word goes over our heart, but some, uh, these words had a target. And only you know those targets. And Lord, I pray that it hit dead on. So God, I praise you and I thank you for your healing. Thank you for Col Pastor Colleen's healing. I thank you for all the touch and all the miracles performed in your house today. Lord, until we meet again, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.